may be seated. You may be seated. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we'll be at tonight, and we kind of coined this uh, uh, lesson, striving for the crown, striving for the crown. Um, if you remember last week at the end of chapter 8, Paul had said that he would gladly give up his right to eat meat or whatever uh, if it would help a weaker believer uh, and, and not allow that believer to stumble because of him. And so tonight, uh, what we're going to see, when he followed this up in chapter number nine, uh, we find him defending his apostleship and his freedom to exercise or not exercise certain rights that he had as an as a, a, a apostle. And uh, the reason for this was that it is believed that uh, there were some in Corinth, and we learned from previous chapters, because of the factions in the church and, and, and the popularity contest that was going on between ministers, Paul was not necessarily a fan of everybody. So there were some people that did not fully uh, 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 accept him as an apostle. And so therefore, tonight, we kind of find him defending his apostleship again, uh, like we've seen in other letters that he's written. Uh, but he goes even deeper now to defend, you know, why uh, he did not receive any uh, gifts from the Corinthian church. You know, and I keep this in the context of the Corinthian church tonight because by reading this, this is a letter that was written to the Corinthian church. So when this letter was written, all the other churches didn't get this letter. So this was like you writing a letter to your friend or somebody, and everybody else is not privy to it. So the things that he's saying here has to be kept in the context of what he was telling the Corinthian church, meaning that why he did not receive a gift from them, a love offering, or some type of compensation for what he did, because he didn't want them to use that against him. And we're going to find uh, from previous lessons that he did take gifts from the Philippian church, and there was other churches that supported him. But if you just read it here, you think that, okay, Paul never took a gift from any church. Well, he didn't take one from this particular church for, for that particular reason, how they had came uh, across, especially some of those who did not accept his apostleship. So with that as the backdrop, we want to go ahead and get into uh, 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 chapter 9, verse 1 uh, and, and 2. He says, he, he start off by asking some rhetorical questions, questions that, you know, we believe that the answer to each one of these questions ought to be yes, you know, and, and to make his point. He started off by saying, am I not as free as anyone else? Well, the answer we learned last week, yes, he is. Then, am I not an apostle? Well, we know the answer to that is yes. He had that, had that encounter with Jesus on Damascus Road and accepted his assignment to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. And so, therefore, he says, haven't I seen Jesus, our Lord, with my own eyes? We talked about that. And then he says, isn't it because of my work that you belong to the Lord? In other words, he was kind of outlining all the things that he did as an apostle. Had that encounter with Jesus, because somebody said, in order to be an apostle, you had to have some encounter with Jesus. Some believed that you had to physically walk with him. But he said, I had that encounter with Jesus, got the assignment, and now after I got the assignment to be an apostle, I went out and I started to establish churches. So that fourth one, he said, isn't it because of my work 
that you belong to the Lord. So again, indicating that he founded this church at Corinth, okay? And so therefore, he's saying that, yes, I meet all the qualifications. Now look at this. Even if others think I am not an apostle, I certainly am among you. I, I should be looked at that among you because I was there and I was the one who brought the gospel to you, so I should be looked at that as an apostle among you. He said, now look, you yourselves are proof that I am the Lord's apostle. In other words, you've established this ministry here as a result of me coming and ministering to you, and now you are the evidence that I must be in this office called an apostle. Even though there may be some people there who are coming against me, and because they are coming against him for certain reasons, then Paul now started talking about, you know, uh, the easy way I can say when we look at verse 4 through 5, or 4 and 5, 3 through 5, it's kind of like saying, Paul, let's know, I got my rights. I got rights. And I have the right to exercise them as I see fit. You know, we live in the United States, and the first 10 articles, I think, of our Constitution is called the Bill of, Bill of Rights. But a lot of people don't even know what those rights are. It's like, okay, you can have a Bill of Rights, you can have a right, but if you want to, you can waive that. One of the rights is you have the right to remain silent. Whenever someone comes and they want to arrest you, you don't have to say not one mumbling word. You can remain silent until you get arrested and then get your lawyer, talk to your lawyer. But sometimes you can waive that right by start talking to the police before time. But then once you waive that right, anything that you say can be held against you. You know, in America, you know, we, we got the right to bear arms. That's part of the first amendment. We got the right to practice religion. That's a right. And there are people who say, okay, even though we're a nation that allows us to practice religion, there are some people who may say, hey, well, I don't want to exercise that right. I don't believe that I need to practice or, uh, uh, any form of religion. That's their right. And so what Paul is going to let us see here is that there were certain things that he had that was considered his rights as an apostle, but now he's choosing not to exercise those rights while he was here with the Corinthians. So that makes sense to everybody so far? So he says, now look, in verse 3, this is my answer to those who question my authority. Don't we have the right to live in your homes and share your meals? That's my right. Because you are supposed to care for and take care the people who brought the gospel to you. And so therefore, it was like evangelists come into town now and someone say, hey, we're going to house them. We're going to put them up. We're going to feed them while they're here carrying out their assignment. And so Paul said, I got a right to, to expect that when I come to town, that somebody's going to make their home available for me. And then when I need dinner or breakfast, I got a right to believe that somebody is going to provide that. Now, but in Corinthians, you remember now, you kind of have to go back to the book of Acts. Uh, in, in, in the book of Acts, you know, when Paul got to Corinth, he stayed with this couple called Priscilla and Aquila. And in Corinth, this, that was the only way we knew what Paul's occupation was. Because they were tent makers, and he stayed with them as tent makers. So therefore, when Paul was in Corinth, it looked like he operated major as a bivocational 
minister. I came to minister the gospel, but because I'm not going to exercise my right for y'all to take care of me and feed me, then I'm going to go out and work when I'm not preaching. Now, there are preachers today who are bivocational for various reasons. Sometimes ministers are bivocational because they have real good jobs. And their church may not be big enough or strong enough to support them totally. So therefore, they pastor a church, but at the same time, they have a job outside the church. A lot of ministers in our community in the old days used to be all pretty much bivocational. I mean, they, 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 they all worked as school teachers or cab drivers or something else, got called, and then started working for the church, but they, the church could not support them financially. So therefore, they had to work. And so, and so it was, you know, in our community it was later, but other churches always saw the pastor of certain leadership positions as professional positions. But in our community, we never looked at the pastor as no professional. He was just a guy that did something on Wednesday and Sunday. And he, you know, he taught school on Monday through Friday, or he drove taxes. And because of that, those churches never had the benefit of having full-time ministry affiliated with them. So they were only open up on Sunday and probably on Wednesday. And all the rest of the time of the week, you drive by the church with nobody there. There are a lot of churches today in the community we're living in right now that operate with bivocational pastors. They're not open five days a week or every day of the week or however many days. And, and, that's, and that's by choice for some of them because some of those pastors have good jobs out on the base. And they know that, hey, the church can't support that, so therefore I'm going to be a bivocational pastor. So there's nothing wrong with that. And so what we see here is that there was times when Paul was saying here that, hey, when we come to town, we have an expectation whether or not we uh, make a demand on what we expect is on us. But because we don't do it, don't think that we're not authorized to do it. That's what he's trying to get them to see. He says, now, don't we have the right to live in your homes and share your meals? Verse 5, don't we have the right to bring a Christian wife with us as the other disciples and the Lord's brothers do? In other words, he's talking about the other side, James, the Lord's brother, Peter, you know, those guys, it believe, had wife because we found out that Peter's mother-in-law was sick and Jesus healed her. So obviously Peter had a wife. Now, there's always been this conflict whether or not Paul was married, but I'm going to believe that how hard he was in the last chapter, the chapter before, about being celibate and, 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 and everybody like him, I believe he wasn't married. You know, and, and, and as a result of that, he was saying, though, if I was married, and my wife, by chance, was traveling with me, then we expect you guys to take care of us. That's what he was saying. Now, again, I know today what happens is, is that a lot of time pastors abuse the care that is given to them sometimes. And in other words, what I'm saying, there are some pastors that is it, it, what I call fleecing their flock, taking advantage of the flock. They're the only one blessed in the church. Everybody else just barely getting by, but they got the nice car, they got the nice house. But if, if things done right, if the man of God is blessed, the body ought to be blessed. So therefore, it shouldn't be a situation where 
The only person in the church that got an income is the pastor. The only church person that got a car is the pastor. The only person that eats good is the pastor. You know, no, there are missionaries overseas that don't eat good every day. But they choose to be missionaries. And so therefore, when it comes time to support them, either their home ministry support them or they're supported by the country that they're in. And a lot of times, these people are in very poor countries. And so, he says now, as he was talking about this, in verse 6, he says, now look, or is it only Barnabas and I who have to work to support ourselves? You know, that's a good question. Me and Barnabas are the only one that got to get out here and double hustle, man. You know, we got to work all day, and then we got to come teach Bible study at night. And on top of that, we got to find a place to live and figure out who's going to feed us. So now he's saying all this to make a point because, again, he has the right to demand what he just got through saying. But because of him not wanting to offend them, he didn't exercise that right. But he's, he's kind of sticking his finger now and say, everybody else is doing it, but y'all don't want us to do it. And because y'all don't and you think something is wrong with our ministry, we're not going to do it just so that we don't offend you all at all. So you won't have anything to use against us when we come to share the gospel. When we preach this gospel to you, you won't be looking and saying, oh, the only reason Paul is doing it for the money. You know, if, they, we, if we don't pay him, he won't preach. You know, so, so therefore, now I do have a problem when preachers have an event that's going to share the gospel and they're going to charge you to come in. I just got a problem with that, and I know some people do. The gospel ought to be free to hear it. Now, whether people want to give to support what you're doing, that's another thing, but people should not have to pay admission to see a preacher. I don't care how popular he is. Shouldn't have to pay. Wait, wait, now let, 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 let's go back to that. Now, 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 the question, get a mic, Major, Major, so Major throwing a stone right now. Major say, they, they, Major just saying. But, but those, those were not necessarily like your traditional, I would say, a church service. Those were kind of like conferences or events. But, but I do think that that is an argument that probably say if your intent is to spread the gospel, then maybe those events could have been, but somebody got to pay for that arena. Okay, but, but if, if, you, if you're putting it on and your, your ministry can afford to put that on and send you somewhere, fly you somewhere and say, okay, this is what we plan to do, shouldn't it, shouldn't it at least be okay if you want to give, just like you said, if you want to give, fine. But if you don't, it shouldn't be mandated. This is how much it costs to get in here to do this. Now, I don't think they charge. Did they, I don't think they used to charge. They used to take a, they used to take a, well, maybe, I don't know. Did they take they charge the registration fee. Oh, they did charge the registration yes, fee? Yes, and then if you want a $1,000 blessing for a prayer, they'll charge you for that, too. <laughs> okay. And, and that's what I want to know, Pastor. Is that, 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 is that, is that scripture? Because that man already got a, got food. <laughs> I, I think that they will probably put that up on the operating cost, what it costs to carry out the ministry. 
Uh, but again, like I said, I, I, I just don't believe, I don't believe, now I'm not saying they're right or wrong, I just don't believe that if you're trying to hold something where people is going to be saved and, and the intent is salvation, people shouldn't have to pay for that. Uh, a I'm saying a traditional church service, you shouldn't have to pay admission to get in. Oh, okay. You, you yeah. shouldn't have to pay. Just to come to church, you ought to be able to walk in off the street and come to church. But if you're a member of a church, you ought to be given to support the ministry. So this, is not, this has nothing to do with whether or not you ought to be giving tithe and offering back to God. This is a whole different argument. This is saying that, okay, I remember back in the day, and I may be wrong, but I was a little, but when Billy Graham used to come to Montgomery, we used to go, and I don't think we had to pay to see none of his stuff. Now, I don't know, I was too little to know was he selling books or selling other stuff on the side, but just to get in, I don't recall my mom and them ever paying anything to go to, to, go to one of his crusades. Get a mic, Major, get a mic. So, 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 so that revival probably was the, 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 the precursor to the conferences. When ministers started getting big and ministries started getting big and they started doing a lot of other things, you know, they figured, okay, versus everybody, you know, me traveling all over the place, we can have them come to me sometime. That's why some of these ministries open up their campuses and have those type of events on their campus. But when we normally used to go to those, those weren't really designed for evangelism, to get us saved. We was already saved. We was going there to glean from that ministry to learn something from it. So therefore, you know, we had a, a, a conference fee to pay to go to get the information. But I'm just talking about if someone's going to preach the gospel and, and the intent is to get somebody saved, I just think the gospel ought to be free. You know, now I know men got to live and make a living. I ain't talking about that. That's understood. But I'm talking about when you're charging admission. I'm not talking about if somebody say, hey, okay, I know Major had to travel and therefore we're going to give him a love offering because of that. But it's not something that's going to be commanded that, hey, if you come in to hear me preach, you got to pay $5 to get in. And if you ain't got $5, you can't get in. Okay. Now it looks like you're charging admissions from the, for the gospel. Now a conference, I, I, I want to keep those separate because I want to say when Jakes did those conferences and other ministers do those conferences, their target audience is not always the lost. If they catch the lost, that's fine. But they really targeting church folks who already say. Go ahead. Let, let, let. No, you, you made my point. I was going to say, so is, it, is that right? The charge of the mission fee. You already say. You already, but is that right? You're still getting the word. You're still, you're still getting the word, but it could, he could probably lump this under what Paul say. You, you know, if you're going to learn something from me, then what soldier go to battle without being supplied? That's, that's where I was going. But, but you said uh, if you already say, well, what if the lost can't afford? So the, so the lost can't, the lost can't get none well, of that? Well, my thing is you don't have to pay you to go to those conferences. Some people want to pay those fees and go see certain preachers when, but, but, when the gospel is free right in their community. But I think we do like that. A registration fee, I mean. Major, and I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying what we do. We put these uh, preachers on a pedestal when they have a certain name, and we pay money to go see them 
and hear them preach the gospel when the gospel is free right in your neighborhood and in your community and in your local pastor. I think we do that. And we give somebody, you know, the pump or, you know, this, this, this position. And, we, and people pay to go, to go see and hear it. And so they didn't twist your arm and say, pay and come to this conference. People go and pay to go see him. Pretty rich. You know, they already got planes. They flew in on a fair private plane, you know? So, so they already got money, so now they be, they'll become an entertainer rather than a gospel spreader. And, 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 and that is open for discussion. I ain't gonna go for or against that argument, but from, from, from early days of going to ministries and kind of understanding how that scene worked behind the scenes, I, I will agree with that. I think some of it, it was a numbers game. It was a, hey, a, a, you know, you come to my church, I come to your church, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to trade audiences. It becomes like a business proposition because now, again, when we went out to Houston, we didn't take new believers. We took church leaders. So we went out there with the express purpose that we were going to learn something and be able to bring it back to striving. So they charged us an admit, uh, administration fee of $350 to bring 10 people. And so you multiply that time by 200 churches out there. 3,000 people sitting off up in there. So that. But then once we got there, they throw some church service in, and we had to give offerings at the church service, and then we had to buy books too. So they, they, they made a killing off of us. They really did, but, 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 I, but we was getting some material to bring back that we could use. And so that was, we chose to go out there. They didn't make us go, but it was beneficial. But yeah, after going for three or four years, I saw kind of how the game was being played, and I said, okay, some of this, you know, is a hustle. You know, I, I just felt like some of it was a little bit of a hustle when they stand up and say, okay, our budget for this is this amount, and we want to raise all that at one time. And I mean, they did it. Our budget is $250,000. And, and one offering, they had it. Because the, the, those people came there to support that effort, and they did that. And, 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 and not realizing that, you know, the big guys were doing okay. Like you say, Fred, they had jets, they had helicopters, they had, you know, the cars and the stuff. But for us, it was getting the knowledge. Now, should we have paid that much for the knowledge? I, I look back at it and say, we learned a lot. I mean, a lot of the things that we learned out there has benefited us as a ministry. But right or wrong, that was the way the game was played. That's how things were done. And all the big ministries was doing it like that. And I don't know how they're doing it today because it's been a long time since I've been to any conference. I hadn't been to a conference in years. So I don't know if they still have conference registration fees because I do know there's still conference going on. Just, I, I, I just don't know how they, how they kind of work behind the scenes now. I have a, haven't been to one and studied one in a long time. But let's get back to this now. But, but Paul was trying to get across. He says now, he says, to make his argument, he used a, a logical argument. He says now, as a minister, and we're not talking about Paul being a, 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 a yeah, 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 yeah. We, Paul wasn't a mega church. It was a, he was a two-man band that traveled around right now. You know, he's trying to just be an evangelist, getting the word out. So he's saying now, look, what soldier has to pay his own expenses? Now, that makes sense. When I came into the military with the basic training, I didn't have to buy my uniform. I didn't even have to pay for my first haircut. 
They, they, they gave me a uniform. I didn't have to pay for none of my meals. Everything I needed, they gave to me. Amen. I'm pretty sure they're still doing that today. You know? And so he said, now, what soldier has to pay his own expense? What farmer plants a vineyard and doesn't have the right to eat some of the fruit? Yeah, that's your tree, Major. The plums are right. Right. Don't you have the right to go out there and taste one before you sell them to market? And if you want to keep some back for yourself, don't you have the right to do that? And so that's the point he's trying to make. He's trying to make the case that he had these rights. He says, what shepherd cares for a flock of sheep and isn't allowed to drink some of the milk? So he's making his argument that, hey, as an apostle, we are entitled to certain things as a result of us sowing the seed of the gospel into the lives of people. Okay? And then he says, am I expressing merely a human opinion, or does the law say the same? So he go back to the Old Testament, if you want to just make a note, Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, he says, for the law of Moses said, in this verse 9, you must not muzzle an ox to keep him from eating as he treads out the, gra tre treads out the grain. Was God thinking only about an oxen when he said this? So some of you are probably too young to understand when the, when the harvest came in, the wheat and whatever it was, they had to bring it to the threshing floor, and a lot of times they brought an ox in, he went around and ground it up, or sometimes they walked on it, separated it up. And he's saying, man, why that oxen is working that hard? If he just want to get him a little taste of grain, who going to put a muzzle on him? And his point is, if God would think that much of an animal, surely someone who is spreading the gospel ought to be cared for. That make any sense so far? He says, wasn't he actually talking about us? Yes, it is written for us so that one who plows and the one who uh, threshes the grain might both expect to share a share of the harvest. So he said, whoever sold, whoever found the ministry, whoever support that ministry, whoever do those things, the one who sold, the one who reaps, the harvest, all should be able to expect to live off of what they're doing. Okay? But we know, again, there are certain people who have interpreted this to mean that, you know, some minister, they just think some, in some faith, they don't believe ministers ought to be paid. And then in some, you know, faith that really took Paul serious, uh, like, like the monks, they live on a hill, and, 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 and they don't take up no offerings and all that, but they, they make wine. And they make stuff. If you ever go to a monastery, they're going to sell you something that they done created, crafts. Okay? And so they, 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 get, they make a living some kind of way because they don't probably have regular church service where somebody come and listen to them. They kind of live that secluded life but they still have to live some kind of way. Somebody give them something to eat, either they grow all their food, and then they make products, and they go down to the marketplace and sell it. And so Paul's argument is that, hey, he could do that. He, because he had a skill, he could be a tent maker and live and preach at the same time. And so 
What he was saying, though, he had a right, though, to expect them to take care of him when he came to them. But because of the way they looked at him, some of them, he decided not to exercise that right. Now look at this. He says, verses 11 and 12, he says, look, since we have planted spiritual seeds among you, aren't we entitled to harvest a physical, uh, harvest a physical food and drink? If I sow spiritual things, shouldn't I be entitled to get material things back? Now, this is how I know that they were just picking on him because in verse 12, it said, look, if you support others who preach to you, shouldn't we have an even greater right to be supported? Now, why would he say that? I know you support others who come through. Now, and you support them, but shouldn't we even have a greater right? Why would we have a greater right? Go back to something he said earlier. I have a greater right because we were the ones that founded you. We got a greater right than the guy who coming in afterwards after you've been founded, the ministry done been set up and all that. And so now we have a greater right because we were the one that founded you guys. These other guys are coming through after y'all been founded and established. Got, got everything set up. And so what he's trying to get us to see here is that this this situation that he was in was not something that was shared by everybody that came there to minister. He said, look, y'all just putting us in this predicament because for whatever reason, you guys got a problem with Barnabas and myself. Some of you all got a problem with us. And so going back to what I taught you last week, he said, rather than be a stumbling block for those of you who got a problem, I won't take nothing from y'all. I'd rather just do this thing for free because it's my call. It's, my, it's what the Lord just called me to do. I'd rather do it free than somebody to say that I was only doing it to get your money. And so that's what I think is important for us to understand is that Paul didn't have a problem with ministers being supported. He just didn't want it to be on his head that these Corinthians would use that against him to say that his only motivation was in some places in, in, in another book, he said he, he wasn't a peddler of the gospel. In other words, I didn't go out and preach the gospel just to make money. You know, and, and, when, and, and I believe that when God placed on your heart to do something that magnitude, if you really, really love what you call to do, you'll do it for free. You'll do it for free. You do free. I, that, that don't mean, when I say free, that don't mean you don't work, though, Major. I mean that, that okay, if striving couldn't have paid Pastor Bolden when I retired from the military, I would have kept preaching. I would have just been working on the base. So I was going to mention, like, when you said earlier, you talked about, um, like, the church was just, okay, going to church on Sunday and then uh, having maybe Bible study, study on Wednesday. And I was thinking, like, so, like, if someone wanted to get married or someone had a death in the family, so those things weren't available to say, a, not even a member, because you weren't really a member if the church was only open for you to go to and hear the gospel. So, I, I, I think a, my point is that it was different than it is now, where but you meet, where, you, where you're actually meeting the needs of members. So, so, yeah, you should get paid, 
But Pastor, for a while, you didn't take a salary. Early on, that's a true statement. While I was still on active duty, I mean, I, I didn't take a salary from striving. But let me say this, Major. Even those churches still made provisions to take care of their members. Meaning that it wasn't unusual for choir members to have to take off during the middle of the week when they know they had to sing for somebody's funeral. People took off work to make sure those things happened, or they tried to schedule those things on weekends when everybody could be off. So those things got cared for, even though the church wasn't open every day of the week. And there are churches right here in this community that's doing the same thing right now. All you got to do is just come around and drive around this whole area, about, you know, about 10 blocks around square, and just look on any given day and see how many churches you see with cars in front of them. Now, if you drive by tonight, because Wednesday in most communities, Wednesday night is Bible study, all of them will probably be open tonight. But tomorrow, ain't nobody going to be there. And that's wrong, nothing is wrong with that, especially if the church kids afford to have a full-time minister or a full-time minister staff. But that church still have to function as a member of the body of Christ even though they may only do it on Wednesday and Sunday. Back in the old days, man, it wasn't uncommon. What we would call a country, they, they didn't meet but twice a month because the people were poor. They just, they just couldn't afford that. They didn't have the means. And so that's why when coming up, it wasn't uncommon for some people to go to the Methodist church on second and fourth Sunday and then go to the Baptist church on first and third Sunday because they couldn't all meet all the time because they were just too poor. The condition didn't allow that. But they still held those uh, uh, services for their members. When someone wanted to get married, when someone needed to be buried, they made sure that those things were taken care of. Because I think that that's what God called all ministers to do. You know, we ought to marry folk and we ought to bury folk. That's two things we ought to just definitely ought to do. When folk want to get their life right and marry, we ought to be able to marry them. And when someone needs our sisters and, 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 and the final services for a member, we ought to be able to do those things. He says now, if you support, verse 12, I'm reading again, if you support others who preach to you, shouldn't we have an even greater right to be supported? But we have never used this right. We would rather put up with anything than to be an obstacle to the good news about Christ. Paul said, man, look here, I, I'd rather put up. You know, this was almost like going back to his good soldier, that he was a good soldier that has to endure hardship. He said, look, I'd rather endure hardship as a good soldier in battle than to have to put up with Major saying, Pastor Paul, and just preaching for the money, man. That dude don't love Jesus, man. Look how he dressed. Look how man, he dressed nice. Look what he driving in. Man, he don't love Jesus. <laughs> look, 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 look at his car. Look at where he live at. He don't love Jesus. And then now he done took up three offers today. <laughs> he don't love Jesus. So Pastor Bowen will say, man, Major, we ain't going to pass the play but one time. We ain't going to pass because we don't want you thinking that we're taking up all these offerings. <laughs> Amen. Because when it comes to church and money, people start thinking crazy. And they rightly so, especially if people have, because there are swindlers in the church. And I mean in good churches. I mean, there are secretaries who are stealing from the church. There are. Because they got access to the, some of these mega churches, they got access to the church credit cards and all that. And you find out they're putting, they, they putting their own stuff on the church card. 
And if don't nobody come and catch them, they can do that for years. We have people that count our funds. If we didn't trust them and they get in cahoots back there, we don't know what y'all give. We trust the three people, that two people that sit back there and count every If they come in one day and decide, to, hey, look, we have them don't know. The ushers don't know. Everything was in the envelope. And some of these envelopes got real cash in them. Them folks ain't going to check their statements at the end of the year. They, some of them don't even worry about it. People can steal from the church. Now, I, I honestly believe we got good people here striving, and nobody's ever done that, you know, when it comes to handling our finances in that regard. But there are, there are things that go on in churches because the church is a, a, a microcosm of the world. So much whatever normally happens in the world in some crazy way, sometimes it works its way into the church. And when it works its way into the church, then now the overall body of Christ get a bad reputation because one church do something crazy or this church did that. And then as a result of that now, everybody will say, all preachers are crooked. Now Pastor Bowden's scared to go and buy him a car, man. God, they say, man, my boss. Don't even take into consideration, man. I done retired from the military. And I get Social Security. And if I want to, and I want to go buy a car, he must be taking all striving money. <laughs> so they want so 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 major if I decide to upgrade and go get me a Mercedes like you and drive like you drive. Somebody may say, what pastor doing over there? But it's okay for Major to drive one. Major ain't counting money, is he? <laughs> Fred being funny with Bible study. Now Major ain't counting the money. Major ain't counting the money. So 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 this issue with church and how churches operate in this area, man, you know, we could dig a whole lot deeper. You know, if you really want to get deeper into how money flows through the church, all you gotta do is study the Catholic Church. I mean, they got their own city. Amen. Vatican City. They, they are their own security. They got their, I mean, they got it like that. The largest denomination in the world. And also give to support that church. Pope don't work hard. At least, at least, I, no, he ain't, he ain't by vocation, let me put it that way. He ain't out selling gifts on the corner and then coming and playing Pope on Sunday. No. And that's a huge organization. And so some of these megachurches just kind of looking at a model and say, hey, if you can get 100,000 followers, hey. Yeah. Now, if you're going to use it for the right reason, have missions all over the world, I'm all for it. But I don't believe that the church should be taking advantage of people only for the benefit of two or three people or a few people in the church. And the community around the church is falling apart. While the church has got all the, the, the luster and all the other things that make it look great, but they're not doing things like Jesus would do in the community. But don't fool yourself. In order for any church to function, it takes resources. Somebody got to give some money. Because we, cause we, we, can't, we can't take your corn, Major. You, we don't want you to bring your no stock of corn in here. And say, Pastor, here you some corn, some potatoes, and all that. That ain't what Pastor's looking for. Now, if that's all you got, that's okay. But if we were in a country that that's how they operate, that would be natural. 
because some people don't have the resource of what they do in, 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 in some of the smaller countries, or even over in Africa, some of the countries over there, the people that were very poor, what they would do, they would bring their produce to the church to sell to the wealthy people in the church so that they will have something to give to the church. And so this principle of giving is universal. People understand that God expects us to give. He just don't expect people to be taken advantage of and manipulated when it comes to giving back to God. Now look what he said in verse 13. He says, don't you realize that those who work in the temple get their meals from the offering brought to the temple? We learned that last week. Even the pagans do that. A part of the offering went to the priests, even in the Old Testament. And, and the reason was that because when they divided the land up, the priests, which were of the Levitical tribe, Levites, they did not get an inheritance. So they depended on all the tribes that got land, that when they got their wheat, their grain, their barley, whatever they had, they brought part of it to the tabernacle, okay, and the priests uh, would live off of that. So they lived off what the people gave. That's why there was so many offerings. There was grain offerings. There was various sacrifices. When they sacrificed, part of the sacrifice they could keep. And all these things were done so that their focus was on the gospel. If, if, if you're really a Bible scholar or a student, you realize that Jacob had, you know, 12 sons. Well, but Joseph had two sons. There is no tribe of Joseph. But Joseph's two sons got tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. And so those two tribes were added to make up 12 when they divided the land. But the Levites now was considered part of all the tribes, so they didn't get no physical land to farm like everybody else. So they took care of God's business in the temple. They did all the things that was considered concerning uh, religious order and how, they, how God prescribed them to do things. And so when the people brought all that, that's what they lived off of, the Levites did. Now, some say the Levites may have been dispersed and every major tribe had Levites attached to them to make sure that when they wasn't coming back to temple, because one was one temple that they would come back to, but when they were having synagogue meetings in a smaller group, the Levites may have been assigned to those groups. I can't prove that it's not that big of a deal in, for this conversation, but we can see now what he's referencing here when he's talking about those who worked in the temple. They lived off the things that was brought to the temple as, the, as, as their form of having their needs met. He says, and those who serve at the altar get a share of the sacrificial offering. He says, now look, in verse 14, in the same way, the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefited from it. That's what he says. They should be supported by those who benefit from it. Amen. Now, I don't believe you got to con people out of it. You, you, you give to the overall ministry and the ministry ought to be able to manage what the people give. It shouldn't always be a love offering Sunday where you come and lay money at pastor's feet. And everything you lay at my feet belongs to me that Sunday. 
I just don't believe that's how you ought to do God's people like that. But again, that was very popular about several years back where everybody was caught up in this laying stuff at the apostles' feet. They took that passage of Scripture in Acts where they brought and laid their, their belongings at the apostles' feet. And someone said, okay, that's what you ought to be doing. Well, that, that they laid at the apostles' feet wasn't for the apostles only. It was to take care of the needs of the people. So it was supposed to be redistributed back to take care of the poor and those who was coming to Jerusalem because the gospel was, I mean, the, the church was new at, after Pentecost and all these people were there, so they had to be cared for. So those offerings was designed to do that, not just to take care of the man that was serving up the gospel. But a lot of times when that became popular, man, you go to a conference, man, you felt bad if you didn't go up and lay something down on the altar. And I tell people all the time, if you're going to give in a church, put it in an envelope so that there's a record. Amen. If they, if they Put it in an envelope so that you put your name on it, all that, and you have a record of it. Because if you just lay it up there at their feet, then you got to trust that the guy who you're laying at his feet is going to be honest. Testimony. We, we had a, some years ago, a minister came in, and he said, okay, uh, all I want, you know, is, is, is the love offering. So he preached. But, he, but I said, love offering, what do you mean? You just, the offering that they take up, you just give that to me. I said, no, we're going we gonna to sell on an agreement before we do that because even if I give you the love offering, you ain't getting it in cash, doc. You're going to get a check. We're going to count it and see how much of it it is and if it's more than $500, we're going to send you a W-9 at the end of the year. W-2, whatever that form is you have sent. Because more than $500, you got to declare taxes on it. But see, that's how they used to get around the game. Hey, you just take up the love offering. Don't nobody count it. You give it to me, and I got to trust that you're going to be fair with the IRS. And if your heart ain't right, you won't report that. So here's striving. If we were going to give you a love offering... We're going to count it up and say, hey, this is what the people gave to support you. You know, even when we used to bring the little choir in here, we took up an offering for them, but we didn't give it to them like that. We gave them a check. Now, we trust the little choir because we know the people brought them, but the bottom line is we're going to account for every penny that leaves the church. There's going to be a trail. Where the money go? Go ahead, Major. What about, uh, I, I can recall, I think uh, my son was telling me about it. So the church that he worked at, they were under another church. So it was like a, a, a brother church. So whatever they earned, they had to give to that church as well. Is that, is that... That, that, that was popular back in the late 90s, early 2000s, where big ministers were going out there getting what they call sons in the ministry. And so if you're a son of mine in the ministry, meaning that you consider me your spiritual father, then they said, okay, then you ought to tithe up to your father. So those smaller churches paid a percentage of what they brought in every week to that father figure. Okay? No different than in the, in the Methodist church. They pay up. They have to pay what they call dues of some sort 
up to the big organization, the corporate organization. I, I, I didn't agree with that principle, you know, because I thought fathers take care of children. But <laughs> until, the, until, until, until the father get old, then the children take care of it. But they didn't work it like that. So I, I, I never bought into that. Well, but they come from because Paul called Timothy his son in the ministry, and then as a result of that, they took that concept and they just said, hey, you pay a tithe up. And then probably in the Old Testament where the Levites had the tithe off the tithe, the tithe that they received from the people, they had to still give a tithe of that back to God. So they probably got some narrow scripture that they used to do that. But again, you can tell when something is not of God because it don't last forever. I mean, you know, just like money coming to me now and laying at the apostle's feet, that, that stopped after a couple of years. People got caught on to it. I mean, they, this is a game. They, they're hustling. And so now you just got to know what the next one is. There's a new one out there. The game is just, a, you know, how they get it, it's unchanged a little bit, but the game is still out there. And if you're not wise enough when you go to these churches, you will be taken advantage of. Because people are still manipulating God's people. And when we do that, all we do is give the church a bad name. And then that makes the world look at the church in an in a ugly way and say, see, why you even go over there and give your church to some organization and you don't have a clue what they're doing? So, Pastor, mm -hmm. do you think maybe the more religious people support that type uh, system than, than, than the real true Christians? Because as true Christians, we know we don't, we don't, we don't have to do all that. We don't, we don't need all that. We pay our tithes and offerings or whatever, but we know that we are not held to a standard you know, beyond that. You know, it's like paying a $50 registration fee to go see a, somebody like T.D. Jakes. We know that we don't have to do that, but some religious people probably feel that, you know, since he's who he is, then, you know, this is what we should do. I wouldn't go that far just say religious people, Fred, because we got a lot of people here striving and don't pay to go to Woman Down Loose. And we paid to go to Hilliard's Church out in, 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 in Texas, man. I mean, you know, we, we paid the, inter the registration fee because we got something out of it. It was a beneficial thing for us to go out there and learn that. So I don't think it's a thing of, you know, you, you're ignorant and the only reason you're doing it because you don't know. You're doing it because, okay, it's something that, it's being presented as a way for your ministry to learn certain things. But then once you learn what you need to learn, what you see is how other things can transpire behind the scenes. That, okay. that can, that can turn. Y'all went to get something out of it. Y'all went for a reason. So you can further your ministry. Right. But, but I think some people go for the, the, the entertainment of it because of you being who you are. So I need to go to support you. Because of that. Now I just want to, you know, be a part of the crowd. Well, Fred, that's even today, not even just with the aspect of talking about resources like money and stuff, there are certain people that will go to church for the entertainment value. Meaning that, okay, I, and I, there's nothing wrong with that because there are different styles of ministry. Meaning that if, if I'm not a person who want to go to a church where they're going to sit down, open the Bible up and read me scriptures on Sunday morning, then I'm not coming to striving because that ain't what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for someone to open the Bible up and teach me line by line. I'm looking for the, the, the other factors. 
I'm looking for the whole overall package with, hey, we want some high praise and worship. We want a little dancing. We want all of that. And then when Reb get up, we don't want a teacher. We want somebody that's going to keep us in that vein that we can feel good about our experience. And there's nothing wrong wrong with that. Different styles of ministry for different people. And so as a result of that, that's why, you know, there are so many different churches in America and, and the modes of operation for a lot of them are not the same. We have a fundamental belief that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, death, burial, resurrection, all that. But after we get beyond that a lot of time, it comes down to the, to the methods and the traditions of that particular church or that particular denomination if they're part of a national denomination. Because if you're part of a national denomination, a lot of your marching orders are going to come from the top. They're going to kind of dictate how you order your service, what you do in your service. And then if they got dues to be paid, your church going to pay those dues up. Get a, get a mic. At some point, you're going to crave some sort of other entertainment if you're saying that that's not going to last. I mean, if it doesn't sustain you as the word of God does, then if you're coming just to feel good that Sunday, is that going to last? Well, I, I, all I can say, Major, is I think that there are people out there who, is, who, who want that type of worship experience. They want that type of experience. And, th and there's nothing wrong with that type of experience. And, and, and I do believe that for those people who are in that vein, it's no different from a person who would like to say, I would rather go to an Assemblies of God ministry because I know in the Assemblies of God, they're going to do these things. They're going to talk about the Holy Spirit almost every Sunday, and there's going to be some demonstration of that with the congregation coming in unison, speaking in tongues. Okay, and so, but there are other churches who may say, well, hey, we like, the, we like the energy, but we don't like the tongue piece. So we'll take the energy off, but, but we're going to leave the tongue piece with y'all, and then we're going to kind of do it this way over here. And so each one of those have a right to organize and worship how they see fit at the time. And a lot of that is based upon the denomination that the, those pastors come out of or a part of. So, so look here, he says, verse 15, he says, yet I have never used any of these rights, and I am not writing this to suggest that I want to start now. In fact, I would rather die <laughs> than, lose, <laughs> than lose my right to boast about preaching without charge. In other words, he kind of get caught up in himself right there. Paul said, look here, man, I can stand up and, and, and boast and say, look here, man, I preach to y'all and y'all ain't give me nothing. And I'd rather die than have y'all to give me something right now. But then he come back right after that. He says this, yet preaching the good news is not something that I can boast about. So I can't get up and start boasting about doing what God called me to do. All I'm doing is fulfilling my assignment. So I'm not here to boast about what I am doing. I'm here to boast about him. And so he says, I am compelled by God to do it. He said, now look. This call on my life, God has compelled me. He has put me in a position where I can't refuse to do what he called me to do. Then he says, how terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. 
Man, he, Paul looked at and said, look, I have an obligation. Again, in order to appreciate this, you have to go back to Acts chapter 9 and read his experience on Damascus Road and see how God called him and how he said he was going to be committed to that call. So he said, now look, man, I was compelled because I was already religious. I was a Pharisee. I knew the law. I knew all that stuff. But then God called me from that to be a carrier of this good news about his son, Jesus Christ. So, so I just transitioned from all the things that I had been taught to now start to carry this message about the good news of the gospel and Jesus Christ. He said, now look, if I were doing this on my own initiative, I would deserve payment. But I have no choice, for God has given me this sacred trust. In other words, this assignment that I got from God is one that I could not turn down. And therefore, I'm going to carry it out, whether you guys, now again, he's talking to them, whether you guys support me or not, I'm going to do what I need to do. But it was obvious that somebody, Priscilla and Aquila, was taking care of his basic needs while he was in, in Corinth. Then he says, what then is my pay? Is it, it is the opportunity to preach the good news without charging anyone. That's why I never demand my rights when I preach the good news. Now some take that to mean that he meant all the time and some take that to mean that he meant in this particular occasion. We can find out that he did, he received gifts. Now whether or not he demanded those gifts from the Philippians, maybe they gave him out of their heart that he never made no demand on them. So it wasn't like he, he came and said, I'm charging y'all because I'm preaching to y'all and I'm establishing this church here. But out of love for him, they supported him and he received their gift. So he did get some gifts and some love offering from that. And he say that, and, uh, and, and all that can be found if you read the book of uh, Philippians where he talked about it when he was commending them for taking care of him when other churches stopped. He said, now look, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. Man, that's powerful right there. Paul man, look here. Man, I, he took this gospel so, so serious that he said, look, I see myself as a slave to a lawyer master and to carry out his assignment, man, I'm going to do it if I have to do it for free. He said, I'm a free man. I, I have no master. If I didn't want to do this, I could stop doing it. But I've been compelled to do it, and it's in my heart. And then now I'm going to do it because I'm a slave to the one who called me. That's slave in a good sense. Now, this, this talking about I, I'm so locked into the call on my life that I feel like if I don't carry it out, then I'll be letting God down. And God is a good master. He's not like the slave owners that we know of from old days of old. We're talking about being a servant of the most high God. Because he says, I want to bring many to Christ. That's what our assignment is. We got to be trying to bring many to Christ. Now, then he goes back now and, and talk about his spiritual, what I call spiritual modification of behavior. In, in, in other words, I'm going to play with Major on Major's turf. And as long as Major turf does not cause me to violate a godly moral law, a, a sin, then I'm going to play with Major on his turf. So wherever Major is, 
I'm going to meet him where he's at. I'm going to modify my legalistic viewpoints because Paul, he was very strict. But now that I know around these guys, I'm going to ease up a little bit because I'm going to meet Major where. And Major, I think you always say this to the men of saying, we always want to meet folks where we are now instead of meeting them where they are now. And so therefore, when we want to do that, sometimes us staunch Christians, those who've been saved a while, who done got real spiritual and real holy now, every now and then we got to modify our behavior. You don't need to go and quote a scripture every time you open your mouth when you're talking to somebody who don't know the Bible. You ain't impressing them, but they just don't know. So you're going to have to talk to them in terms and language that they understand and connect that to spiritual principles in the Bible. So Paul said, in order to win people, man, I was flexible. Depending on who I was around and what my assignment was, I modified my behavior so the people who I was around didn't feel like I acted like I was more superior than they were. He says, now look, for when I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. In other words, when I was with them and they was talking about following certain religious eating habits, I didn't go to them and ask for no bacon sandwich. I mean, I, I, I didn't go to them and ask for shrimp or lobster because I know that was against their dietary law. So when I was, and I was brought up in that, so it wasn't no big thing because I was brought up like that. So when I was with the Jews, I honored their, their holy days because it didn't make me no difference because all I want to do is get a foot in the door so that I can at least see an opportunity where I can share the gospel. Instead of just turning them off and say, oh man, I ain't got time for them Jews now, man, they just. No, you got, we got to adjust. If we're going to win people to Christ, you're going to have to be willing to adjust your behavior a little bit. Not sinful, not, he's not talking about sin. He just said, hey, there was nothing bad about God's moral law. And he said, look, I'm going to go and still be around them and I'm going to respect the moral laws of God. But, so, but when I'm with them, I'm going to also respect some of the ceremonial laws. But when I'm not with them, the moral laws I'm going to hold on to, but the ceremonial laws I may not follow because the Gentiles may not know about them ceremonial laws. Y'all following this so far? He says, so when I was with the Jews, I acted like a Jew to bring Jews to Christ. Now, don't take this to no extreme. You, come on, but does that mean that, you know, if I'm trying to win the weed head or the drug dealer, do I need to go and, 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 and snort a little with him? No. No. <laughs> no. He's telling you to go and snort nothing just to win somebody to Christ. He said, don't be, around, don't be afraid to go around them, though. Ain't nothing wrong with you going to minister to them. You ain't going to beat them down right now. You're just trying to tell them to go there to tell them, hey, there's a better way of living. But sometimes we get saved and we're afraid to go back to the same neighborhoods that we came out of. So, so he said, now look, even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so that I could bring Christ to those who are under the law. When I was with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, the ceremonial laws, I too lived apart from that law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God and I obey the law of Christ. In other words, Christ commands, teaching and all that. 
I don't ignore God's law just to hang out with the Gentiles, the heathens. So I ain't going to go and break no law just to be with them, but I'm going to be with them in spite of what they are doing and who they are. I'm going to show that I'm flexible enough to be willing to share this gospel with them, even though they're doing some things that I know is wrong. So therefore, huh? So yeah, yeah, if he were the Gentiles, he would have ate a pig foot. He would have had some bacon. Because that's what Peter did. In Ephesians, when Peter was down there hanging out with the Gentiles, he was eating good with them. And then when the guys from Jerusalem came down, Peter distanced himself from them, didn't want to be identified with them, and Paul confronted them. He said, man, you're a hypocrite. You can't act one way when you're out here with them by yourself, and then now all of a sudden your boys come down, and all of a sudden you don't have a taste for chitlins no more. You was eating chitlins last week with these guys, man. You was eating pig ears and pigtails. And then all of a sudden now... Your boy's in town, and you don't want them to see you eating that. So he was telling them, hey, that's hypocritical. And so what, what I'm trying to tell you is sometimes when you go around people that are not saved, man, a lot of people that's not saved are not out there practicing what we call sinful things. They're just not saved. And so therefore, there's some things that we did in the world that was not necessarily sinful. It's just something we did to excess that may have pushed us over in that area of sin, but there are a lot of things that we did. There are a lot of good people out there who don't know Jesus. They ain't shooting up. They ain't getting drunk every weekend. They ain't beating their wives and beating up the children and all that. Man, there are a lot of good people out there, and all they missing in their life is Jesus. And so we got to be willing to meet people where they are so that we can carry this gospel to them as long as we stay in line with God's word. He said, now look, when I, when I am with those who are weak, you remember the weak from last week, I share their weakness. In other words, I don't flaunt my knowledge, how much I know, to tell them that, hey, ain't no, you know, ain't, there is no other gods. So you might well not be afraid to eat that. No, okay. Since you're afraid to eat that because you think there's some other gods and idols and out there, then because you won't eat it, I'm not going to eat it. But I want to stay with you because I'm going to educate you to the point that you're not superstitious about stuff that ain't true. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. And then he says this. Yes, I try to find, somebody say common ground. Now, that's the tricky word right there. What is common ground for Major and what is common ground for Adrian and myself? It may look a little bit different, but you got to know when you're saying, okay, I found something I got in common, common ground here, that I can have this conversation with this person who don't know the Lord. I got common ground, and this common ground is not sinful ground. It's just something that we have in common that will be a, a door for me to go through in order to reach this person. And sometimes when you're trying to minister to people on your job or, or your friends, you got to find what is that common ground? What do we have in common that we can talk about that will lead to a deeper conversation that lead to Jesus Christ? And the reason the church is, is not effective at this anymore because sometimes we don't want to find common ground. We want them to come on our ground only. And if they don't come to our ground, we ain't coming to no common ground. Because we see common ground as compromising, and compromise is when you violate the scripture. So he said, now look, I want to try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save 
some. He realized he wasn't going to save everybody, Jeremy. Jesus didn't save everybody. But you ought to be saying, if there's 10 people in here, at least two of them want to hear the good news. It may be five, but I believe at least two want to hear the good news. So don't focus on the other eight. They want to walk away from Jesus anyway. You focus on the two that need to hear that good news and want to turn their life around. And so often we focus on all those people who may walk away instead of the few that may stick around to hear what you got to say. We get caught up in the crowd, and sometimes we think the crowd means that it's more anointing there. That don't mean it's more anointing just because the crowd is bigger. It's got nothing to do with that. When God's anointing is in a place, it can be two or three, and his spirit can be moving. Yeah, I would love to have him move for a thousand, but look, don't, don't look at that and say, hey, God is not moving because you don't see 500 people. Jesus called his disciples, man, one at a time and two by two when, when, when he got the brothers. But as he ministered, the crowd came, but even some of that crowd, when they heard what he was talking about, when his teaching got a little tough, Major, some of them, the Bible says, some of them walked away and followed him no more. He didn't stop preaching. He kept on preaching because he knew that someone would believe the message. That's why we can't get discouraged when some people don't believe you when you witness to them. You just sowing a seed, putting a little water on it, and it may be five years before that person gets the reality of what you're trying to get them to see. And somebody else may go to them and just say one scripture, and all of a sudden now they don't see in the light. You can't get upset about that. You did your job. And so we got to continue to do our job and let God give the increase. He said, now look, in verse 23, 23, he said, I do everything to spread the good news and to share his blessing. And then he go to verse 24, and he kind of transitioned now to start comparing uh, his journey. He illustrated this by comparing what he was doing and how he patterned his life to the Olympic Games or to the to the Grecian game, because this was before the Olympics, but all of y'all know the Olympics did start in Greece, you know, and so therefore they used to have these games where the athletes came, and just like the Olympics today, you know, everybody can't be an Olympic athlete. You know, if, every, if everybody could make the Olympics, it wouldn't be the Olympics. Amen. I mean, you, you, you know, people who make the Olympics are, are, are cut above everybody else, you know, and so what he said, look, if you understand what he's trying to get us to see here, he said, you got to see your race that you're running, your fight that you're in. You got to see it as something that you're in this thing to win it. You ain't in it just to show up. You, you, you want to finish your race. You want to run your race. And what he wants us to see here is that, hey, unlike in the Olympics where you compete against other people and only one person going to get that little crown on their head, that little wreath, or now they give away medals, you know, a team will get the medal, the gold, bronze, the silver, and everybody else walk away home with nothing, just showed up. He said, your race is against you, Major. And if you run your race like God set it out for you to run it, then in the end, God's going to give you your crown. And he's not going to base your crown on how Brother Purdue run or how Adrian or Brother Rob run. He's going to say, hey, Major, did you run your race? 
Each one of you got to run the race that God has set before you based upon how you grow, how you mature, and how you can endure the hardship that's going to come from racing. And so what he's trying to get us to see is that, hey, you got to get in shape to do this. You just, can't, you just can't run this Christian race and you ain't in shape. I'm talking about you don't know no scripture, you don't come to no Bible study, you don't go to no church service, you don't even open your Bible, you're not trying to grow. You can't win your race if you're not getting in shape. And he said, look, Olympic athletes know this, that's why they go up into the mountains of Colorado somewhere and be isolated so they can train. Sometimes when you're going through training, you can't be around all your friends who don't want to train. You got to cut some of those friends loop, man, and say, look, I got a race to run, man. Y'all ain't running nothing. I got a race to run. You ain't going to stop me. No, I ain't going out this weekend. I, don't, I, don't, I know what the part is. Like, I done did that. I got a race to run. And I know running my racing party just don't line up like it used to. So if I'm going to go out to the party with you, I ain't going there just to be entertained. I'm going there to snatch somebody. Because I'm going there to get somebody saved. They ain't going to invite me next time. Because I'm going to come in talking about the Lord and trying to meet them where they are. They're going to say, man, don't bring your friend Bolden back. He'll he buzz killer. He killed a part of the man. He got, he got right here and started getting all the people over in the corner, talking to him about Jesus, giving them my little tracks and all this stuff, man. Now he started talking about Jesus. Now they don't want to, they don't want to, they don't, they just died. So what I'm trying to tell you, we got to have a purpose when we go out. And what Paul is trying to get us to see, man, if you don't look at your life as a race that you're running and you're running to win, then you may run. And like he said, man, I don't want to run for so long, Major. And found out that, man, I've been disqualified. Man, that'd be sad. Now, let me read this. I'm verse 24. He says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So he said, look, so run to win. If you're going to run your race, run it to win it. You're only rushing against yourself, so don't run just to finish the place. You run to win. He says, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. Talking about those reefs that they used to put on their head, that after three or four days, they were going to die. But we're running for an eternal, eternal prize. We're running for something more than just a reef, something more than something we can see here on earth. We're running for something that we can't even see. We, 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 all we know is what we've heard about it, what we've read about it. We're running for something we have not even seen. And because we believe that it's real, we keep on running. We don't let no one deter us and say, well, man, how can you believe in a heaven that you've never seen? Nobody ever came back and told you it's real. You just read it in some book that somebody wrote, yeah, but I believe what I read in the book. My spirit has received that, so therefore I'm going to run my race like, as if heaven is real. Because if I stop believing that heaven is real, then there's no need for me to come to church no more. There's no need for me to go through all this training. And we all going to end up in the same place, whether we train or not. Somebody going to win. I'm going to win this thing. You're going to win this thing. And so that's what I'm saying. God says somebody going to win. There are going to be some losers. Amen. So he said, now look, I'm finishing. So I run with purpose in every step. I ain't just going through the motion. Then he transitioned from running to boxing. He says, I'm not just shadow boxing. Have y'all ever seen a boxer when he get in the ring and he ain't fighting nobody? He just, 
That's easy right there, man. He said, man, I ain't shadow boxing. <laughs> I ain't just beating the air. I got an enemy out there. When I throw a punch, I'm trying to knock somebody out. I'm trying to knock something out of my life. He said, look, I ain't just shadow boxing, going through the motion. There now so many people who come to church now, just going through the motion. They just shadow. And then when all of a sudden the real deal shows up in their life, they don't even know how to respond when the enemy really shows up because they've just been... We got to get beyond just shadow boxing. And in order to do that, he said, now look, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. In other words, you got to make this flesh do what it's supposed to do. Because if you don't train flesh, flesh going to do exactly what it want to do. Flesh don't care that you love Jesus, that you got baptized when you were 5, 10, or 25. Flesh don't care. So you have to train flesh over and over. And every day, Paul said, Fred, we got to crucify. Because if we don't crucify flesh every day, it'll, it'll resurrect itself. You know, your old nature that's in you, man, it'll just come alive, just rise. And one day you least expect it, you back to doing the way I thought I was delivered from that. That thing just jumped on me again. You had to catch yourself. Say, man, I, I've been delivered from that. Because flesh understand that this war is going to go on until we end our life on this earth. It's, gonna, it's a continuous battle. It's not something that we win and then all of a sudden now we stop fighting. No, you got to fight every day. That's why Paul said, he says, I train in it, it to do what it should, my body. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself may be disqualified. My God, man, I done preached all this word to Major, man. Major going to heaven, Major running. He got rewards stacked up in heaven. And when Bowden get there, he going to get just barely get in. Like that guy he talked about, he going to get in. But because he ain't put nothing on this foundation, when he get in, he ain't got no crown. He ain't got nothing up there waiting on him. He just going. So he, I, I, I almost looked at it like at a running a race. I don't know if you ever ran track before. But when you're in certain races, you got to stay in your lane. Certain race you can cross over after so far. But in certain races, you got to stay in your lane. And if you get out of your lane, the judges all around the track, and they see it, they disqualify you. They disqualify where you stepped over the line. But we were always taught, you keep running. Because you don't know if they saw it or not. You know you don't hit the line, but you keep, you keep running. And then now you find out, I kept running, but when I got to the finish line, the guy said, man, I looked at the field. You get disqualified. You got disqualified on the third turn. You finished, but you ain't getting no trophy because you got this. And so that's what you don't want to. You don't want to live your life, man, and then find out that you're just going through the motion. And when you get to heaven, you you got you ain't got no nothing up there waiting on you. You just barely getting in. Nobody ought to want to just barely get in. Now some extremists. Take this passage of scripture being that you ain't going to even get in. Now, I'm in, not in that camp, but some of them take that disqualified me major. You might well stop running right now. You know you done stepped on the line? Just stop. It's over for you, man. <laughs> you might well just leave it up because you ain't getting nothing when you cross the line. Now, I'm not in that camp, but there are some people who take that entire to your salvation and say that there's a possibility that some people may forfeit and get disqualified from their salvation. I believe Paul is saying, I don't want to be disqualified as a preacher of the gospel. That, that, that God disqualified me and said, hey, because I wasn't living 
what I was preaching, then now God disqualified me. Had nothing to do with me going to heaven, just had something to do with my qualification and what he called me to do. But again, that's another discussion, but you can see here how Paul went to the extreme to try to be all things to all people that he may win some. And that's, that's the challenge that we have, is how do we present the gospel in the times that we're living in when people out there don't believe the gospel, don't even believe that it organized church anymore. We don't even believe you need to go to church now. There's no need of even fellowshipping and all that. You can just do it all on your own. And there are a lot of people out there who got thousands and thousands of people following them every week, and all they do is click on their podcast. Don't know nothing about them, but they just know what they're saying. And then when they leave there, who do they fellowship with? Who do they grow with? And if that, there's no accountability, that person walk away from that, and he could be walking back into the world and losing a battle, but I go to that podcast. Somehow you got to connect with other believers. Even if you're online with a podcast, you got to have other believers in your circle of influence that you connect with so that you can grow spiritually. Iron sharpens iron. Amen? Any questions, any comments before we close out? I want to thank you for tonight's uh, lesson. I hope you got something out of it. Again, I challenge you to go back and, uh, and read it again and, and see what the Lord speaks to your heart about the lesson. Amen? Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Thank you, thank you, thank you.